Welcome back, listeners. Today, we are talking all about leading a team while feeling like an imposter. This is something that I can certainly relate to in my day-to-day as one of the chapter leads on our Android team at Headspace. We have the perfect person to discuss this with us. One of my old coworkers. I always say old coworkers, like you're like an old person. Former, former. Yeah, former is correct. My former coworker, Maya Hope. Maya was almost my manager, but wasn't at the EdTech startup that I went to after I was a teacher. She has this incredible poise, just is absolutely brilliant and just carried herself in such a way that you would, I would never think you had imposter syndrome. So I can't wait to kind of dive into what that looked like. But to me, you were just totally on the pedestal of like, wow, look at this smart woman, like a model person for me to have my first job and learn from. So welcome Maya. Thank you, Taylor. That is quite the introduction. And I am just so excited to have this conversation because that was not how I was feeling. (laughs) So I think this is going to be great. Totally. Totally. It'll be therapeutic for both of us. You know, Maya, we haven't talked in approximately a hundred years, so we can't wait to learn what you've been up to since eSpark, but can you fill our listeners in on what you've been up to, um, a little bit of your background and some of the companies you worked for and just what you've been doing in the tech space? Just kind of like generally speaking, I'm, I think like mid-career, I guess. I have about 15 years of work experience. I studied economics in college, also went to grad school for um, public policy, where I did a lot of statistics and like really surprised myself that I actually love statistics and uh, got involved in some jobs that included statistical programming. So I did that for a couple of years, basically like data analytics. And I think from there, I transitioned into um, a role as a data scientist as a startup, which is like my first entry into tech. And that was the education startup where Taylor and I met. And so basically from data science, I got really interested in just like the whole general product experience. And I got into product management then. So I've held a mix of um, individual contributor roles. I've led teams and I'm now currently working as a product manager at Square, the payments company. So cool. And I I love how you omitted your colleges and we talked about this before (laughs) and colleges are really on the brain for me because I just watched the college scandal Netflix documentary. I watched that two days ago too. It was fascinating. It's so fascinating. And as someone who was obsessed with where where they were going to go to college since I was a little child, it really, it really hit home just the lengths people will go to and how it's literally like the pinnacle of, of some kids' lives in high school, like where they are being accepted. But but Maya has an extremely impressive resume of school. So I'll just say it for her. She went to, she got her BA at Stanford and then her master's in public policy at the University of Chicago. So I think part of my view of Maya was her coming in with just these insane degrees where that kind of background in my mind, you know, without even knowing you gave you the credentials to lead teams. You may not think of it that way, but I feel like and, and while like where you go to college, you know, it doesn't necessarily always matter. I feel like sometimes in leadership positions, maybe if you're younger on the team or whatever, it can give you that boost to other people. It's kind of like a facade, but yeah, I just think that's funny. And we were just talking about how somewhere you got in when you were 17, like shouldn't really stick around with you into your thirties, but you know, it's kind of the world we live in. It is. And I, I mean, we were talking about this earlier that 
you know, in various points when we were working at the startup, I would get introduced with that background. And I was always cringing on the inside because like I was 25, <laughs> you know, I was just a kid and I had to present to, you know, superintendents of schools, like they're leaders of like organizations and hundreds of employees. And I'm just like a kid. And I'm trying to say like, trust me, I went to Stanford, you know? And, and it's like, it made me cringe, but it's like a total signaling. Like it was just basically a way to say like, hey, leader who we're trying to sell to, like this person might know what they're talking about because they got into a good school when they're 17. But like, if you really unpack it, it's just like, I don't know, it, it like always kind of grossed me out. Totally. And yeah, I think that's even why I remember you went to Stanford because it's like, we were always talking about it. Like, we were always saying, here's Maya, she went to Stanford. And it's like... <laughs> Oh my God. And, and I also told you because I didn't get into Stanford, it really stuck out in my mind. I was like, well, okay, Maya got in Stanford. All right. Well, she's smarter. <laughs> yeah. Once again, to remind everyone, Taylor had to go to her safety school or no. It wasn't my safety school, you guys. I just, I wanted to go to Stanford. That was my, that's where I wanted to go. Anyway, whatever. We don't need to talk about this every episode. It's just so top of mind. The college scandal stuff is, it just cracks me up. But it makes me also really scared for where my kids are going to go to college and how it, I hope it calms down. Or like we just do a total 180 where it doesn't matter where you go to college and every college is great. Yeah. Or just, I don't know, like that that Netflix documentary, just like the parents scared me more than the kids, you know? I know. Oh, totally. And like it's not that even like there's a difference between Stanford and Cornell. Like they're basically the same school in like the grand scheme of things, but it's like, you and I went to different places. Guess what? We still worked at the same place. We still ended up in the same place, you know? And it's just like, I wish I could tell that to the parents and the kids. Like, it's gonna be fine. Let's talk about how we first met. So I was interviewing. I didn't know what the heck I wanted to do after being a teacher. And so I was interviewing at a bunch of random companies, but eSpark was kind of aligned with what I was doing because it was still education. And I still felt like I was having an impact on students but just from a technology angle. You were leading the team that I first I thought I wanted to be on, which is more of like the curriculum side of things, which now that you're talking, I'm confused why you were on that team even as a, da- a data scientist. So it <laughs> doesn't matter, but yeah. <laughs> but you, so you like screened me, you screened me for that internship with no, no promise of getting hired. No, nothing. I was going back to square one. Startup life. Yeah, so... I, as I mentioned, I uh, was a data scientist. And that in itself is like a term that's very like hoity-toity. It's <laughs> just meant I did statistics. So the product we were building was basically personalizing different um, like apps and videos to kids. So you're kind of meeting kids where they are. And there was a big data component to that. And you have to like first figure out where the kid is and then figure out like what apps are going to help them get to the next level. It was a startup it was chaotic, you know, we're changing things all the time. And so again, like I was in my mid twenties, I didn't have that much experience, but I was asked to lead a team that was both doing the data and sort of like the curriculum matching that we're putting into the product. I'd never worked as a teacher. I didn't really know that much about education of like the actual like teaching and learning components. When you talk about imposter syndrome, all of a sudden I'm asked to like, hire a group of interns to like select this content and oversee them. I was totally out of my depths. 
But I will say that I remember the phone screen with you very vividly. <laughs> and I, I have like a bit of a, a weird, very specific memory. But I remember it was like a Friday afternoon. Oh my gosh, Maya. And like, I, I really remember you the first time I talked to you. <laughs> Everyone's going to think that I just like had you come on because I wanted you to like say nice things about <laughs> how, how great I was when I was also 20. I don't know how old I was. Also the fact that you were 25, I literally thought you were not because you looked like it, but I just thought you were like, that had to be in your thirties. Like just cause you were mature and just seemed like you knew what was everything that was going on. Like you were the go-to person. I just would have never guessed you were young. So you, you did a great job. You tricked me. What I remember from that is that you were like super goal oriented. You were thinking about switching careers because you were doing Teach for America. And first of all, just like respect. So like imagine how I felt trying to hire you as an intern when I knew you weren't doing a job that like I could never do in my own life. So, so that was really impressive. And also just like the way that you talked about setting goals, even for first grade, second grade, when you're teaching them, you had like really high expectations for yourself of what you would do for the students you were teaching. Even though I wasn't hiring you to teach students, I knew like, she's going to do great in whatever she sets her mind to, you know, and, and that's what you want when you build a team. Totally. Totally. Well, spoiler alert, you didn't hire me. So that, that was rude. <laughs> but it's complicated. But, okay. We don't have to get into it. I'm over it. Kind of. No, I'm just kidding. But basically what you did was you helped me get a job on another team as an intern. So I still ended up working at the company. We still ended up working kind of like adjacent, but you were never my manager. Yeah. So you were like so close for the role that we were hiring for. And very recently I had talked to another person who we then ended up working together with for years. And he was incredible. I love him. Like, love him. Uh, but it's like he was, he had slightly better experience for that particular role. But I remember thinking, like, oh, can we get Taylor too? And when I heard no, I was like, guys, she is so special. We need to find something for her. And so we found you a role on a different team in the company. And see, that's a great message because sometimes people create roles for you or help you. Like if you I always tell people like on LinkedIn, if you're reaching out to people, just have a conversation and sometimes you can really dazzle them. And then they like work hard to get you get your foot in the door, like elsewhere, if they may not have the position for you, definitely something I've experienced, but we've been alluding to how it felt for you to lead that team. So let's talk about that. I felt like a fraud every day of the week. Uh, <laughs> you know, but again, again, remember, you know, Stanford BA, <laughs> a, a full on what do you have? You have a master. Yeah. You have full on masters, university of Chicago, like educated lady coming in. So what I remember really vividly was I uh, was in my mid twenties. Um, and when I was asked to be the manager of this team, I was asked to be the manager of people who are older than me and people who have been at the company much longer than me. And I felt like I had zero credibility. And you talked Taylor about how like I seemed like I, I knew what I was doing. And, and I wonder like how much of that was like me acting overly confident because I was afraid that if people would like look too closely, then they would like see me for the fraud that I was. But I, I do think that like back then I like 
probably held opinions more strongly than I needed to because I didn't want to admit that I was wrong. Like I did work really, really hard then, but but part of working hard was like I never wanted to ask some of the people on my team to do something that I wouldn't do because I didn't want to like seem unfair. And so I just remember like spending like nights and weekends doing all these boring QA tasks. But I just felt like I had to take it on because I was younger and I was a new manager and I was just like making things up all the time. Yeah. I feel like startups are hard too, because there's like sometimes the expectation of going the extra mile or working nights and weekends and just everyone on board the ship, like we're, we're going to make it happen. No. And you know, when, especially like when people are trying to like get into tech for the first time, like I often say like, it's great to join a startup because when a company is like new and growing, there's always going to be way more work to do than there are people to do it. So it's a great opportunity that like, there's more projects, you can pick up things, you can like advance yourself in that way. But the flip side is like, you need to have the judgment of what's important to do or not. And if you don't have that judgment, then you like spend your nights and weekends doing like pretty boring QA tasks. (laughs) You know, you can burn yourself out really easily that way. Yeah, totally. I think that one of the biggest skills, at least that I've learned, and I've been uh, leading a team for a much shorter time, but what has saved a lot of my nights and weekends is just delegation and letting go of the guilt that I was attaching to it, which was basically, if you were better at your job, you could just get all of this done and get all of your work done and still be done by 5 p.m. Yeah. I mean, just to be fully honest, like delegation is something I'm still working on all the time. I want it to be really hard for me um, for a bunch of reasons. You know, I, I talked about just like feeling like I had no credibility in this role. And I think I've matured in my in my thinking on that, you know, and I'm not sure that there was like a specific point, but I think just like as I've gotten more work experience, the more I learn that everybody is really just making things up. <laughs> You know, no matter how like confident they seem or poised, everybody is just a person. They at one point didn't know something and then they learned it and now they know it, you know? And I sort of just love to think about that. Like when I encounter something like, yeah, don't know it now, but somebody else learned it. I can learn it too and I can get there. And so it's sort of like thinking of things that way has reduced the expectation of me that I should know things or I should kind of have this credibility that I don't have yet. That should is so damaging too. Cause I think that's always the standard I hold myself to. I should, because you see someone else ha- is there and you're like, wow, well, he's there. I should be there, but okay, well, he has 10 more years of experience. So like, no, actually you shouldn't. And what is the marker of should, you know, it's just like yeah. you telling yourself a story. Yeah. It's, it's a moving target. And I was going to say, I have, a, I have a good friend who taught me that mm-hmm. should is a trap, like whatever kind of like journey of life you're, you're going on. And then like, if you, if you start thinking should, like I should know how to do this or like they should know better than that. Like it's a trap. Like it's going to lead you down a dead end. It's going to leave you in a mud pit. Like it is just like not a good line of thinking to go down. And I think, I think that's been helpful. It's like, it's not, you should, or you shouldn't, but it's like you did or you didn't. And what are you going to do about it? Like that's the next step. Right. You can. Yes. You could. You could. 
you could, you know, and Sebastian was like, how, how could you, what needs to change for you to be able to do I love that? that. Love that. How would you say that your perspective as a leader has changed since you were leading this team at, at 25? I hope that you're not still devoting your nights and weekends to QA tasks or really like anything else work related. When did that shift happen that you came to the realization that you don't have to do absolutely everything to be considered good at your job, that just doing, you know, your role and fulfilling your expectations is enough and that you can delegate the rest? The way that I think about imposter syndrome for me is sort of like break it down to like three pieces. The first step is like, I realize I don't know something. And then the second step is, oh, I feel like I should know something. Oh, yeah. That should work again, you know? And then like the third step is, shoot, because I don't know something, I'm afraid that I'm going to be discovered for a fraud, right? And so like that first step, realize I don't know something every day of the week, (laughs) multiple times a day, you know, just given kind of the nature of my work, of course, I'm running into things that I don't know. But I think sort of what has changed for me in that loop of imposter syndrome is like, I don't get to that step two that I realize I sh- that I think I should. It's more like, okay, I don't know this thing, but that's fine. Like I wasn't hired to know this thing. I was hired because I am good at solving problems, right? And so it's either I don't know this thing and I have to figure out how I'm going to learn it, or I have to build relationships with people who can help me figure it out, right? And so it's almost like the the switch for me is like, yes, I still don't know a lot of things, but I don't feel bad about that anymore. Yeah. I feel like that's how you relate to those thoughts is the, is the whole, the whole enchilada if you will. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it can either be a huge motivator if you take more of like a growth mindset, like awesome, something new I get to learn today or a hindrance. If you're coming at it with a fixed mindset, like I don't know this, I'm never going to learn it. And my entire life is a lie. I'll I'll offer like hot take. Like I know growth mindset is like a great thing. It's never really worked for me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. Let's dive in. No, it's just like, (laughs) I feel like I'm pretending if I like put on these mantras of like, I will learn something new today. You know, like I wish I had that perspective. Like it doesn't come genuinely. I think, I think what works more for me is just at least feeling secure enough in my work environment and my team that there's trust that I trust my team won't be upset with me if I don't know something. And so it feels okay to take the time to learn it. I'm the same way. Yeah. It feels okay to admit that you don't know and ask questions of people and not be afraid, hoard all the knowledge or not feel like you have to hoard all the knowledge to them, you know, dispel it later to show how smart you are. That's totally... I have a hard time with things like that too. Like I want to be a growth mm-hmm. mindset person, but I'm, I've have too much negative self-talk to be there yet. And <laughs> yeah, what you just said is definitely more practical for me. You talked about imposter syndrome as like a negative feedback loop. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. And we'll kind of like go back to when you and I were working at the startup, because I think that's like when I, I felt it really deeply. 
if you're afraid of being, you know, not good enough in an area, at least for me, like the negative feedback loop would be like, then I would seek out evidence suggesting that I'm not good at that area. And I only hear the evidence that confirms my belief that I'm not good enough. And I'm not listening to evidence that actually you are good enough. Um, And whether that's negative self-talk or just kind of like bias, like that I think is is a really pernicious cycle, right? When you like continue convincing yourself that either like you're not made to lead this team or you only got this job for this reason or something like that. Just being aware of that negative feedback cycle can help you break it in some ways, right? And you can say like, what actually happened today? Like how much of my day did I not know what was going on? And how much I actually know what's going on. And like, can I pay attention to those tidbits instead? Totally. Like a grad, like kind of like a gratitude journal, but for good moments of your day, like to rewire your brain. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I mean, it's kind of cheesy, but I recently started doing this thing that I totally love. I have um, a Google doc that's just like pinned, you know, to my Chromebook and at the end of every single workday, like before I close my computer, I write down three things I did well today and three things that made me happy. And usually I like the happy things. They're just like, cheesy. it's like the sun was out and I had a nice walk with my dog, you know, but the yeah. three things I did well at work today are me to kind of just like reinforce. I, I got good things done. You know, I was a good teammate and it's just like, it's a nice way to wrap up the day and make me focus on the positives that way. It also allows you to take like, I mean, as a data scientist, it also allows you to take a more, data-driven approach to combating your own feelings of self-doubt and imposter syndrome because you already have all the negative feelings lurking around. So to actually quantify and, and write down the positive reinforcement as well, then you actually have a point of reference the next time that you have an invasive thought comes up and you can reference that doc and fight against it that way and say, no, look, I actually have evidence tracked here of all of the things that I've accomplished in the past week, in the past 10 days, month, however. Yeah. And I mean, I, I don't know if I've like yet gone back to read it. That's almost just more of like a log, but you can always think of three good things from the day and they can be so small. Like today I wrote something like took the time to give someone a genuine compliment. That's not about my work. It's just like, that's like something. Yeah. That's a good thing I did. And, and I love sort of like the ritual of doing it just before I finish working for the day, because then when I go on with like my life and I'm cooking dinner, you're just like in a good mood because you're focusing on the good things versus like in that negative feedback loop and thinking about like, I wish I said this differently in this meeting or, or whatever that is. Yeah. And we're evolutionarily wired to see the negative to survive like when cheetahs are chasing you, but that doesn't serve us now. And so the way to combat that is to really hone in on the positive things. And it literally rewires your brain, which is why things like gratitude journals work. So then every subsequent day, you're just wired to see things more positive. Like I'm sure when you first started, you were, it was like harder to come up with three things. And maybe now during the day, you're like, oh, great. That's one of the things for my, my list probably brings it more top of mind and just gives you a more positive outlook on the day in general. We've talked a lot about your imposter syndrome having to do with your age and maybe your subject matter, you know, studies, but we haven't talked about being a woman at all. So I'm wondering if that, did that play a role at all in your early imposter syndrome feelings? Definitely. And it still does. 
You know, I, yeah. uh, I'll just give you an example. Taylor, do you remember when we worked together and I would host Stats Chats? No, I don't. <laughs> so it was like my extraordinarily informal version of a tech talk. Um, except I did it about statistics. Basically, like I was the only data scientist in the, in the company. There were like 40 people at the time. And I thought that there was just like an opportunity to kind of like demystify this area of like data and measurement to kind of talk more about the work I was doing. So I would like host like informal lunch and learns. Someone pointed out to me that even though I was talking about like pretty sophisticated like data and analytics content, my voice would get like really sing-songy and I would like, you know, like vocal fry, like end sentences in a question. And I think when I realized I did that, it was, well, I'm presenting technical material and I'm just trying not to sound intimidating. And I think I, that a lot of that was like rooted in the fact that I was a woman and I was presenting to mostly men about these technical concepts, right? And it's like that sort of that desire to soften your message or like, I don't want to make the men feel bad that I know more about statistics than they do, you know? So that was like definitely one area where that came in. And I, I feel like I do that too. I will purposely change my tone of voice or add more filler words, like say like, or, you know, or like, haha, like be more laughy to sound more relatable or, or like less boring. Like sometimes I think technical presentations are really boring when done by some men and I'm falling asleep. So when I do them, I'm like, let me add my own spin on it, but it may be viewed as less serious. So, but to me, like that is the preferable, preferable way to do it. I feel the same way. I noticed myself using much softer language in emails as well, especially emails, not so much internal emails, like most of our internal conversations happen on Slack, but when we're in a thread with some third party vendor that we're working with, I just happen to pepper my emails with a lot of like, I think, and could you and make like a lot of maybes and there's usually like a little smiley face at the end and i thought about it because i i've seen elsewhere some like doctrine of women being told don't do that you send your emails more like direct and less filler words etc i get it but i like the style in which i send emails i feel like i respond better to sort of like softer language cues like that, you know, I like to make people feel comfortable and I choose not to see that as a personality defect or something I was socialized with because I'm a woman. And like, maybe it was, but I consider that a pro and not a con. And so I'm going to keep it up and keep putting fucking smiley faces at the end of every email. And exclamation points. And it definitely makes me wonder, like, imagine you work with only women and that was the typical style of writing emails. Would anyone actually ask you to change your style? Like, do the exclamation points and the, like, the I think caveats actually reduce the clarity? And I think no. Like, I think that's just how you prefer to talk. And if you still get your point across, then keep doing that. Like, you don't have to change that to fit in with, like, the more kind of, like, typical male style, even though that's, like, grandly, like, you know, overgeneralizing. If you're still communicating well, then do it the way that you do it. Totally. Yeah. Like if you feel good about writing things like that, sometimes I will reread 
not as much as I used to, but I'll reread and be like, oh, I didn't need to have maybe there. That's just like a, I'm just doing that naturally. And I don't need to write maybe because I'm saying what I mean. But you're right. It doesn't reduce the clarity. People can read it and it's fine. And, you know, cats out of the bag. We're never going to be men. Like we don't have to like pretend that we are by totally emulating everything they do, even though they like have a leg up in the world. And like you said, Monica, I like communicating like that. Maya, when I emailed you about coming on the podcast, what if I was just like, Maya, I'd like to extend an offer for you to be on our podcast please prepare you know like instead I was like OMG it's been so long so excited yay and like that's how I talk in real life so and that builds relationship you know because I'm sure I responded with like no fewer than 15 exclamation points you know that is like part of the message I want to convey when I'm talking to you because I'm excited to talk to you You're so right. Like those things contribute to the relationship. You would have felt so awkward coming in here if I like really formally asked you to be on the podcast with no catching up or excitement shown. (laughs) That would have been weird. Yeah. Honestly, I, before I want to be seen as technically proficient, I mean, I do want to be seen as technically proficient because I am, but even, even above that, I want to be approachable. And I want people on my team to Mm -hmm. never have a second thought of they should like slack me or not. If they're worried about interrupting me, I want people to feel like, you know, they can always ask me a question. I might not have an answer right away, but I will definitely put it on my list to find an answer or direct them to the right person who does. I absolutely agree. Whether you're like trying to lead a team or influence a team or like just be a good teammate, people like working with people, (laughs) you know, it's not rocket science and like work gets done because of relationships. And it doesn't mean that you need to be like the most extroverted person in the world, but like you just need to be human. And then I think it, that definitely like goes a really long way to breaking down those barriers to like, as you say, feeling approachable and feeling like you could admit when you don't know something or when you need help. Speaking of that, can we talk a little bit more about just women leading teams, like how you feel as, as a female leader at your company now, maybe less imposter syndrome, but still, I think there's some connotations, you know, around just women leading teams in general. I will say I feel very lucky and very happy to work in a place that has a lot of female leadership. I work on a product team of like 15 people altogether. It's mostly men, but the engineering manager is a woman. My product lead is a woman. There are a lot of like women inside the chain of leadership that I can look to. But because I do work in tech and in um, fintech, there are often meetings where I am the only woman. I mean, I'm, I'm curious if you guys feel the same way, but, but now that like we're working from home and everything is on a video conference and you see all of the boxes, like I feel like I have a heightened awareness when it's a meeting of eight people and I'm the only woman. I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about that, you know, and it certainly like fits into my calculus and like that sucks. And like, as we've talked about, like, I shouldn't ever be thinking about changing the way I approach a meeting or a problem because of that. Um, But it is part of it. 
I, I don't know if I have like any like good solutions for getting around that, but I think like it, it also just like goes back to trust. Even if I am the only woman in this group, like I hope we as a team have developed enough of a sense of trust that like it's okay to get something wrong. And I'm not like hypersensitive to that because I'm the only woman in the room. Totally. And you have some tips though for, you just said you didn't, but you do have some tips for, you know, practicing leadership when you feel like an imposter. And you have some good ones. So I want you to, I want you to tell us. Well, so some things that I do that have like certainly helped me just one, like practice, you know, and it feels kind of funny to say like practice being a leader, but like leadership isn't like, it doesn't have to be like formalized or granted to you. You know, um, I would say right now I am leading the work of 15 to 20 people. I'm not their direct manager. Like I'm not in charge of like their career paths, but like I am making decisions every day about like what we're working on and why. And that is like a way to practice leadership. And, And so that's how I do it. But maybe like in your own world, it's like, just like leading um, a smaller project, you know, leading a discussion about an opportunity you think you have, or even just like practice outside of work. Maybe, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's harder like with the COVID stuff now, but like maybe you're part of some like online group that is a cooking club. I, I don't know. I don't know what you guys do, but <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, there is an opportunity where you can identify like, hey, I actually know something about this and I'm going to help people understand it better or talk through it in the way that only I can do. Definitely. I love that. I love that. Just taking on leadership roles that are, that are not formal. Like even just in a meeting, you can be a leader in that meeting. If no one's talking, if no one, if you don't feel like you're getting anywhere, maybe trying to steer the conversation. Like, I think we all can do those things without having a title. Yes. Do you want to know my favorite meeting hack? Yeah. Yes. Hey, be the note taker. And I know that. Okay, oh, hold on, hold oh, on. Conflicts. We 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 were talking um, a couple episodes ago about how women sometimes are just assumed to be the note taker, kind of like secretary of the meeting when that's not their job, like just taking on that extra thing. So so tell me why you think that. Yeah, because it, it feels like you're the secretary at first, right? But the thing is, what matters is what you do with the notes, because you'll realize that the note taker has the power. <laughs> Don't just be the note taker, but actually write down the action items. And after the meeting, email the notes to everybody on the chain and identify who is doing what as like the next follow-ups. And that is a position of leadership. And while it may at first feel like you're the secretary or you're just like managing the product, the project, like actually you're the one making sure that this meeting ends up in an action. And that's the way you're adding value. And so maybe you're not like even the person doing the follow-ups, but because you set the ball in motion, like that's power. And like you could slide something in there that maybe wasn't even talked about. (laughs) (laughs) Or or you just like emphasize what you want, but like, you know, like you are writing a narrative. Or or set the priorities in which things need to get done. Okay. Okay. Shall we get into our imposter all-star moments? Yes. Okay. This was my all-star moment last week where we were asked to do this panel for Women's History Month. It still hasn't happened. It's tomorrow because we're recording on Monday. But today, like Monica and I were kind of like, right. You know, when you're on a panel, you don't want to just wing it in Mm -hmm. front of the whole company. You want to thoughtfully go over the questions. And 
And as I'm going through it, you're just second guessing, like, do I have something smart to say? Why am I even on this panel? Like other women in the audience are going to be like, why was she chosen over me? So just all those thoughts. But I mean, at the end of the day, I know I have something to offer. At least we have something to offer uh, by creating this podcast. I don't think anyone else at the company can say they've created a podcast about imposter syndrome and women in tech, pretty much our own thing. And so that's getting me through it, but I'm definitely super nervous. It's tomorrow at 9 a.m. I'm gonna have to wake up so early and do some, you know, power stances to wake up just to be in- affirmations, do your affirmations, affirmations in the mirror. Yeah. So I guess that was an imposter moment. Taylor, mine's literally, I shouldn't have let you go first because mine's literally the exact same because we were talking to each <laughs> other about this this afternoon. Yes. And yes, I was also, I mean, I still am. I'm, I'm psyched for the panel. I'm sure it's going to go well. And I'm sure that we will have valuable things to say, but for right now, it's just me staring at my copy of this Google document with my dumb little answers that sound even (laughs) stupider every time I read them. And literally as soon as, as soon as we sign off from recording, I'm going to go back and edit them and then read Taylor's and then (laughs) change mine to sound less dumb. (laughs) My all-star moment is how I'm going to feel tomorrow at 10 a.m. When this panel is done. <laughs> yes, like, we are crazy. It's <laughs> like, correct. Remember, we were talking not that long ago. You thought I was poised when I was 25. And I thought, like, oh my God, what am I doing? Like, this is the same version. Like, there is going to be someone who is 25, or maybe they're 45. I don't know. They're going to be in the audience tomorrow. And they're going to be like, Oh my God, these women are so brave. They put together the to put together a podcast. Like they're talking to women in tech about their like vulnerable thoughts. Like that's amazing. It's so true. You just forget. Like I feel like we're just talking. So you forget how important this this is an important podcast. Mm-hmm. And you just forget when you're just doing it, kind of going through the motions of recording, releasing it. You forget that the content is super valuable. And that actually, we totally Taylor did forget about an all-star moment or several all-star moments because we've been getting just such great, like unsolicited feedback. We got an email from one of our engineering directors today saying that he had really enjoyed a recent episode and we've gotten messages on LinkedIn, some from people that we don't even know who have just found this content organically and that, and it's really just the best feeling to know that when you're talking into the void, there are not only people listening, but they like some of the stuff you're saying. Anyway, sorry, Maya, we totally bulldozed over you. So let's hear your imposter all-star moments. I I guess. Okay. So, so one thing that I um, have recently started doing, it's not really work, but it's work adjacent is, um, I started learning about angel investing and not that I'm trying to like make money by investing in startups. I genuinely like, I'm very interested in what makes a business grow and business models and, and how you get into this. And, um, and someone kind of invited me to, to join this group of people that's putting together angel investments for startups. And I have really been struggling to kind of like understand like the technical financing is this pre-money? Is it post-money? And it's like, I feel like, when did everyone learn this stuff? Like, should I read Hacker News? Like, should I have paid more attention to that scene in the social network? Like, I just like, I don't know how to like figure this stuff out. 
stuff out. And it's like, I have enough confidence in myself. Like I can just like sit down and like read some documentation. And it's just like all jargon, but it, it does feel like, because I don't know that yet. And I think it's like a lot of other men involved in this group. Like I feel kind of like isolated and, and excluded. So um, it's something I want to work on. That's how I feel about like Bitcoin. You just like miss that boat. Like sometimes if you just like, like NFTs, it's like, can I just like ignore this one? Like, I'm, you know, I think it's going to pass over. Maybe I don't need to learn this one. Maybe I'll, I'll learn the next fad that comes on. I'm going to pick one thing for my list today, um, which was, it's funny. It's not even something that I did, but um, there's a, a new analyst on my team who just gave an amazing presentation today about his work. And he just did such a good job. Like he found like, counterintuitive findings and he like presented them so well and he like talked about the applications and um made me feel really good pretty new to the role he's a bit earlier in his career he's like done analytics but not entirely in this way and and it's not like I even helped him that much I kind of just like scoped the project but I was just so happy to see him succeeding and like other people in the room were like oh we're gonna use this and it's just like when I like, I get a lot of energy when I see myself like connecting people and pieces to kind of like make the team more effective. And it's just like, it, it feels better to see people doing that without you actively doing the work, you know? Um, so that was really cool. That. Wow. This has been such an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom with us. Glad to hear that we're all still in this imposter thing together. And it gets better and you just, you just, you have it. It's always there, but you just reframe it. And I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway. Yeah. Thank you so much, Maya. You are the best. I'm so glad we got to catch up in this format. And for real, you guys are great. And like, I can't believe you don't feel good about your panel tomorrow. Like about any your like practice because you're doing the podcast. I need time back. So I'm going to give myself another like 30 minutes to read all of Taylor's answers, copy them, and make sure that I speak first. And then she can wing it. Make <laughs> sure I speak first. No, we're going to be great. Uh, if they hadn't sent us the questions ahead of time, I wouldn't be thinking about this. Like, yeah. Maya, let's talk. Let's, you know, keep in touch and maybe go less than seven years before we speak again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you guys. Um, Good luck with the podcast. Thank you so much.